0: Let's start out with reading in God's Word. We're going to read uh, Genesis chapter 9, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and on all that moves on the earth and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely, your lifeblood, I will demand, surely, for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it, and from the hand of man. For the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God He made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly and fill in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, and for all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. "'Thus I establish my covenant with you. "'Never again shall all flesh be cut off "'by the waters of the flood. "'Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth.' "'And God said, "'This is the sign of the covenant "'which I made between me and you, "'and every living creature that is with you. "'For perpetual generations, "'I set my rainbow in the clouds, "'and it shall be for me the sign of the covenant "'between me and the earth. "'It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth "'that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud.' And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that that is on the earth. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Father, we come before You and we want to say thank You for Your Word. And thank You for the fact that You are a faithful God. Lord, literally, I believe about 6,000 years or 5,000 years from this time of the covenant when You promised You would never again destroy the earth, and we continue with seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night, without fail, as You have promised. Father, this is Your blessing upon the earth. This is Your covenant. And Lord, we thank You for it. We ask tonight that as we look into it, Lord, that You would encourage us to walk with You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are, we've been looking at this. And uh, I found something kind of interesting I was going over this uh, section, the whole flood section again, from chapter six all the way up through nine. And most of you remember, I'm a fan of Greek literature, Hebrew literature, where they have chiasms. And a chiasm is was a speaking mnemonic to help you remember what you were going to say. And we look at it and it's kind of like a V. If you take it in a diagram. And particularly for the flood, it starts in Genesis 6 with the curse. God saw the violence of man and he cursed man. And it ends, uh, and it goes all the way down until the, the center point of the V, God remembered Noah. And it comes back up with all the blessings as instead of destroying, sending the rain, sending the flood, breaking up the foundations, he starts to put it all back together. And he builds the foundations and he stops the rains and he, he dries up the floods and he pushes the water away and he raises up the mountains. And it's like, Ooh! you know, and literally you look at this and, the, you know, it's just like it's a it's a crest of destruction followed by restoration. And it helps us for several reasons. First of all, it, it shows us this is a complete unit. You know, nothing got lost here. Uh, You look at it, you read it, you go, yeah, it's a good story. It goes from A to Z, you know, it looks good. But when you actually see it like this, you see that for every point going into the story, there is a counterpoint coming out of the story. It's balanced. The author's intent, you know, as he would think it out and write it out, is all there. It's all there. And this beautiful section that starts in verse 9 the third word in our New King James, so God blessed Noah. You know, we started out in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent and thought of his heart was only evil continually. And you can tell it's going to be a good story from there, right? (laughs) That's not the way you want it to start. And verse 6, and the Lord was sorry... He had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man from off the face of the earth. You know, this is is the destruction that we watched come in. And, you know, we understand it. We understand why it was needed. There is a just God. He punishes sin. And at some point, that sin grows, and it gets to a point where God destroys sometimes nations, sometimes people groups, sometimes families. And on this occasion, he destroyed life from the entire earth, destroying the earth and rebuilding it. And that would be terrifying if we didn't have the other side. And the other side of this is that God still, in mercy, remembers and chooses and saves individuals. Grace came to Noah Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know He was given grace by God. It's it's an interesting statement, the way it sounds, but Noah did not seek it and earn it. That would be the opposite of what grace is. Grace is an undeserved gift. And yet with this grace, you see it also working itself out in his heart that he was a righteous man, that he walked with God, that there was none like him in all the earth. You know, all the testimony of who Noah was because God chose to work through him to preserve human life. And so he does. And he obeys God in building. He did all that the Lord had commanded him. There's again another statement you find about Noah. Noah did all that God had commanded him. And he builds the ark. And through his obedience and his work, God providentially saves the entire human race. They continue on through this flood. And he brings them out, this other side, and instead of uh, instead of a curse, now we've got a blessing. And one of the commentaries pointed out that this is in... in we've talked about how the ark is a type of Christ. One door we have to be in. Uh, Noah is also a type of Christ in some ways, that he was the one who built the ark and he was the one who was... The patriarch leading to God and offers the sacrifice you know uh, and through his righteousness his family is saved others come in I can see that Um, but there's a third type here and that is and these are just pictures that theologians look at and they go you know there's some really neat things here he says this is a picture of salvation before salvation God looks at us and he says your life is full of violence and wickedness and deceitful thoughts and you are you have nothing before me. And then when grace comes there is a the destruction of the old life and a bringing of us through into a new life a separation from all that is past. And I think that was a part in this particular picture that really got to me is you know we talk about how in as a christian you're a new creation in christ and i understand that that is physically you have a new heart and a new soul a new spirit that loves god there's a physical aspect to that in your body and spirit but there's also a complete separation from the old life there is what had been before the the violence and the sin and all the you know no matter how good or bad we were sin didn't bother us before what happens after we come to know the Lord it bothers us and it bothers us a lot And the in the result is that we keep cutting off and cutting off and cutting off and it, it this is it's just like the flood in some ways there should be a point of this was the past and now coming out the other side of this this is the future and it's, again it's not a perfect picture um and we're not perfect you still have noah sinning, and unfortunately we you and i still sin but it's a decreasing pattern of sin and we're attacking that sin at its root cause in our heart and in our mind not allowing it to to bring forth fruit in our lives of whatever kind it would um and again you look at this picture And I think it it fits well with the blessing that this is a blessing that could be applied to you and me. And it says, God blessed Noah. Okay, When we come out and we get to know the Lord as our Savior, we have been blessed. And this command, he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Isn't that the same command? Go into all the worlds and make disciples? I mean, that's be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In the Old Testament, it was a very physical command, but in a spiritual sense, and in the New Testament, it's a spiritual command. And it's not one that is limited by age or by wisdom. We are all to be actively engaged in planting the seed. And I mean, it can just be... uh, One of the authors I read used to say, he said, I leave a stone in their shoe. You know what it's like when you get a stone in your shoe and you're walking around and it's like, ooh, that one really gets me. And he he said he just uses questions to leave a stone in your shoe and and get them to think that what they're saying about their life and what they're doing with their life is not the same. It's not the same. They've walked away from God. And uh, this stone should help them to, to stay next to God, to draw near to God. Uh, It should challenge them that there's something off. Because when you're on your own, you forget that God is in control. And you go through life and, you know, you look at the unsaved and all they mourn about is the national catastrophes. That's all their eyes can see. The wars, the floods, the the big things. And their, their whole concern is about me right here, right now. And yet as you start to look up, you realize God is doing this in justice and judgment. And He brings us through so that He can bless us. And that's kind of important. That's kind of important. Because we don't look at this as the catastrophe. You know, We look at it as a, as a judgment from God, but on the other side coming out, it is a blessing. It is a blessing as God restarts the earth in His image trying to recreate the right place for man. He starts off in verse 1. He says, So God blessed Noah and his sons, and He said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this, that verse right there is a continuation of the original command if you go all the way back. All the way back. We're not very far. You can't go back very far. But Genesis 1.28 Genesis 1.28, you have the original command from God. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And it's a little different. Here he says, I'm going to put the dread and the fear of you upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the air and all that moves on the earth. And then he says, they are given into your hand. That's dominion. And then in verse 3, he he changes the food. Remember in Genesis 1, he said, I've given you every green herb to eat. But now after the flood, he says, every moving thing uh, that lives shall be food for you. And again, it's not clean and unclean. Every living thing. Now, this is all part of the blessing of God. It is a returning to the initial State God says, this is what I've wanted. Go, multiply, be fruitful, you know, use the earth, subdue it, bring it into, into subjection to serve you. You know, this is not abusing the earth, but this is similar to gardening is what I, I picture it as. It's subduing the earth, pulling out the weeds so that the plants that produce fruit can grow. It's bringing the manure in and it's, you know, it's, it's doing what needs to be done. And God gives us the dominion to take charge of the earth and to use it for our benefit. And now He also gives us the the food to preserve us. There are certain denominations, particularly the Seventh-day denomination, that believe we should be vegetarians. And the reason is, is in the initial Genesis 1, God said, I give you the grass and the fruits and the vegetables. And He doesn't give us the meat until here. So it must be better for us to be vegetarians than here. And they try to make a tie that because we eat meat, we only live 80 years. And there's nothing in God's Word to support this. Nothing. It's, it's the delusions of men. God, the same God who gave us fruits and vegetables and the, and the grains of the field as a gift has now turned around and he has added everything that moves on the face of the earth. You want to eat chocolate-covered ants? You know you want to eat fried grasshoppers? You want to eat monkeys? You want to eat it's here. The permission was given. You can't look at it and say, "Well, you know, now there's clean and unclean and I can't I mean, there's allergies. That's fine. But God's blessing has given us everything that we need. You know, and when you ask about who has more wisdom, man looking back and saying, oh, we should only eat vegetables, or God looking at man and what his needs are going to be and saying, you're going to need protein, you're going to eat meat from now on, I give you all, you know, who do you think has more wisdom? (laughs) All right. I mean, it is pure (laughs) balderdash. I don't have the right words to take what God has given as a blessing and to turn it upside down and to say it's been a curse to us. And I would challenge you to look as we look at this. This is what God has done. He, he gave us a blessing and man's... the worldly system, mankind as a whole, takes all of this blessing and says this is a curse. You know, God talks about family. What does God say about family? Blessed, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Psalms 123, 9. And then He talks later on in that chapter, He talks about how children are like arrows in the hand of a mighty man. You train them up like making an arrow. You make it straight strong. You harden in the fire. You put a good point on it. You sharpen it. You you etch it with feathers so it flies straight. And then you take it and you bend that bow and you send that arrow and you send it down time. You send it down time. Years pass. And that arrow is going to impact something far down the line. They will marry, they will start families, they will take your teaching, your doctrine into the next generation. And this is why it talks about a mighty man. A godly man trains his children and he sends them into the future to take dominion for the Lord, to, to bring the gospel to another generation, to disciple another generation of kids, to stand in church for another generation. And we look at that as Christians, and we say, "This is what a blessing." Almi and I were watching uh, at this conference. It was a small group. I mean, I don't think it ever exceeded thirty-five or forty people. And uh, but there were three or four families with, you know, the little stair-stepped kids, and you'd see these little parades of girls, you know, walking by with their little skirts, and then the boys, ah, mm, you know, coming with a line of cars or something, or, and it was just you think what a blessing it is. And what do we get in the world? Instead of blessing, the world is telling us, no, no, kids are a hindrance. They hold you down. They drag you down. They, they, you know, they take up resources on the earth. They do all these things. And it's just the opposite of this. This is the blessing of the Lord for his people. And it's, you know, we were to go out, we were to take control of the earth, subdue it, bring it into meaning, enjoying the fruits of our labor, both from the garden and from the field and animals. And he doesn't stop there. He gives us all sorts of details, starting in verse 4. He says, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. Surely, for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. For the from the hand of every beast, I will require it, and from the hand of man. Okay, first of all, he says there's to be no eating of the blood. The blood is to be shed, and uh, he re- maintains that prohibition all the way through the New Testament. So that's the only food prohibition that I believe exists is that we are still under not to eat the blood. Um, and then he continues on about how. Our lifeblood will be held sacred. Surely, your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will reckon it. If an animal kills you, God says, I will judge it. And from the hand of man, if a man kills you, I will judge it. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. And here's why we have capital punishment. In this blessing, he knows man is still sinful. Even though Noah has come through with grace, we're going to see that already he's got one of his children and grandchildren that are going to be turning to sin very quickly. And within 500 years, 1,000 years, I think 500 years, we have the Tower of Babel. As men reject what God has commanded them to do, group themselves together and start to build a tower whose top will reach to heaven. And he says, so God... Gives a further blessing of government, and this is the institution of it. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. And that's, that implies that there must be a gathering, a consensus. That, you know, this man didn't die of natural causes. There's a spear sticking out of him, or his head was bashed by a rock in the middle of a field. You know, obviously, there is somebody that hunted him and killed him, and there's a punishment that must be exacted. And so men start to gather together. They start to make laws. And this is the basis of it. And you know, in our society, again, we see in all of these blessings, we see man turning against God and saying, oh, these aren't blessings. These are curses. And we see this in capital punishment today. They look at capital punishment and they say, well, how can killing another man somehow suppress killing men? All we're doing is adding to the problem. And so they start to come up with, well, we need to rehabilitate them. We need to give them another chance. We need to do all these different things. And yet look at what God says. God says his man, his blood shall be shed. The back end of the end of verse six. For in the image of God, he made man. Okay, He is not saying that if, somebody, if I kill somebody... That I am to die because that man died. I am to die because I killed the image of God. I turned against the image of God. You think about that. And you think about abortion and even euthanasia killing of the old and the infirmed. And we extol those as advances in medicine and advances in society. And the reality is we've taken the blessings that God has said, this is is my gift to you. I'm going to give you good things. I have just destroyed the earth I've separated you from all the violence, the sin, and I'm going to lay out a pattern of life for you. Be fruitful, multiply, go out, fill the earth, work hard. You know, and this is something even for our kids, right? We tell them, we want you to go out from us and work. Take dominion of a place. You know, not not necessarily to farm, but to... To build a life, whether it's business or, or you know, through service in a, in a company to another, but to establish a place and a reputation and to take control of it that you are a man of God. And to use that not only to bring physical children, but also spiritual children into the world. And then to establish a government that is righteous, that will stand for the laws of God. These are the blessings. Um, and then he adds one more, and this is God's covenant in verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and his son, saying, And as for me, okay, he's done all this for you. This is for you. This is the blessing that I'm giving you. You go do this, you live this way, you establish this as the law of your land. Then he says, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you, with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Pretty comprehensive, huh? Noah's not asking for a covenant. And yet, God gives them this you know, the, the curses at the beginning, coming out, we have this blessing. And then the last part of this blessing is God himself saying, and I'm going to do something else. I'm going to put a covenant. I'm going to cut a covenant. I'm going to make an unbreakable, freely given, irrevocable, unconditional promise with you. And it's not going to be with you alone, Noah. I'm going to make it with you and your descendants of not just you, but all the animals of the earth. All life on earth. This is my promise to you. Um, Verse 11, thus I establish my covenant with you. Here he says it. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's my promise. And he adds a sign to it. And this, God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the clouds and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rain shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant with, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh because of to destroy all flesh the rainbow shall be in the cloud and i will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant between god and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth isn't that beautiful i give you this covenant this promise that i will never again destroy all flesh and I'm going to give you a perpetual sign that I am God, that I remember this covenant, and I want you to, too. It's going to be this rainbow. When there's rain on the earth, cloud on the earth, rain and sun shines through it. You ever think about what God had to do? Change the physics of light to create a rainbow. No problem. I created light. I'm just going to do it. You know, we don't, we don't find him having to, to make a plan. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to give you this promise, and I'm going to put this sign right there in front of everybody. And again, this is a sign of blessing. It was a sign for us to remember to take courage and to go out that God has preserved the earth from flood. He will never again destroy all life. We can, you know, if, if the area where we're in, the water's going up, we can move, we can go to higher ground. There will be a way to get out of it. It's never again going to destroy life. And what has man done with this as well? He's turned it upside down, hasn't he? You know, they look at families with big, with large amounts of children, and they go, "They're destroying the earth. They're they're murderers. They're murdering the earth. They're bringing in all these people who are going to produce greenhouse gases and waste and everything else, and they kill the heritage of the Lord." the children, and they take his rainbow and they go back and they make it a symbol of sin. They say instead of God promising that He will not bring judgment on the whole earth with water, and it was a sign that He would preserve them from the judgment of a flood, they now say it's a sign of unity, that all different colors and types can, can exist together in harmony. You see the absolute destruction of how man in his wisdom takes this blessing of God. And I mean, again, I go back to this. You have the curse in Genesis 6. God looks out. Every thought and intent of the earth is evil continually. I will destroy the earth. And on the other end of it, we have this incredible blessing. I am going to preserve life. I am going to build life. I'm going to give you a good life. This is how it shall be. And here are the signs of it. And you know this I take on myself. This is my part of it. I will do this of my own grace for the whole earth. I will promise them this and put my sign in the clouds. And man turns around and he, he spits in the face of God. The question for us as we think about this tonight, it's kind of several fold. But one, do we trust God? Do we trust God? I mean, I find myself, I I recently met a vegetarian, and you know, you don't eat meat? Oh, I could never eat the life of another animal. You know, and I just, it hurt. It hurt. Because I look at this and I see God giving us you know, and I can make jokes about this, how men like bacon and all this stuff, you know. But God gave us the bounty of the earth to eat. He gave us good gifts. James 1:17: every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. There is no bad gifts from God. He gave us families to disciple and to send the gospel into time to the next generation, impacting two and three generations down. You know, you think about it. As grandparents, you have an impact on your grandkids. And as great-grandparents, I mean, that impact diminishes, but you still have that impact on your son, your grandson, and your grand-grandson. It's there. And you have this beautiful gift of God if we would follow it. And typing it all off, we have the incredible mercy of God. We have not changed, but God says, I will spare you. And instead of celebrating the fact that God has promised that there will be a temporary reprieve from judgment, we have hated the fact that God is even acknowledged. And we turn it upside down and we say, oh, we're going to seek unity. And even in the face of that God honors his covenant God honors his covenant are we trusting in this God tonight do we go forward in in looking for his wisdom in life or do we listen to the lies and the deceit of this world you know when you listen to this world you will get turned around they make sense they, it appears logical And you've got a whole group of people with you going, no, of course, that's the way it is. We've studied it. We know. Just like these men who say, you know, well, if you eat meat, then you're not going to live long. And I ask you again, who knows better, the creator of our bodies who is blessing us with a good gift? Or man who thinks in his arrogance he can prolong his own life before coming before God? We must trust in the Lord. There's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one source of truth, and that's God. And all of God's gifts are good gifts. Family, uh, government, capital punishment, uh, meat, all the things that He's given us are good gifts. And we would do well to remember that He still rules this world. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, we just ask that you would continue to work with us. Lord, draw us closer to you that we would grow with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.